Uh, yeah, as Sam said, we're going to be reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, Debbie is wandering around to give you one. So probably hand up. Okay. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace be Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy for the, of the kingdom of God, of which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and, and shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. <coughs> uh, on the day he comes to be glorified in his, in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed in our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy in, of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deep, every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our, Lord, of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Evening again. Please keep your Bibles open to 2 Thessalonians 1. There's an outline of my sermon on the back of your handout. If you're a note taker or if you're feeling a bit sleepy, I find it helps me keep awake if I feel a bit sleepy to take notes. I'm going to pray one more time. Loving Father and Almighty God, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and also your justice and your judgment and for your word. And we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And pray now that you'll clear our minds and help us to focus on it and that you'll work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit to apply it to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as has been mentioned, we start a new series tonight called Hope Shaped Lives. And it's a three-week series, so we're going to work our way through uh, the whole letter over the next three weeks. And um, yeah, if you want a little giggle, read ahead to chapter three later on, which is very much not a Christmas sermon, but... It's, uh, it's on a Christmas celebration night, so that'll be a bit of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that'll be good. See the subtitle there on the screen? It says, what are you preparing for? And that's what I want us to think about tonight. What are you preparing for in life? What are you hoping for? What are you looking forward to? Because what you're looking forward to shapes what you do and how you prepare. Cooper and Rach, they're looking forward to a wedding. So they're going to have to prepare for that. They're going to have to pack certain things into their lives over the next two months, no, 
12 to 18 months, perhaps, <laughs> as they prepare for their wedding. They're going to have to pack in, where are we going to go for the reception? Where are we, what church are we going to get married in? Who's going to do it? And blah, blah, blah. You have to pack in all those things into their life to prepare for their wedding. As you think about your journey through life, which for many of you has only just begun, for some of us, we're halfway, and for some of us, we're maybe at the other end. Um, what are you packing into your life? What are you packing into your daily schedule, your weekly schedule, your annual schedule to prepare you for what your hope is in as you move through life? Ponder that for a moment. In a moment, I'm going to give you a minute to kind of think about it, but I'm going to chat a little bit more first. Um, When my wife Lara and I got married 20 years ago, we went on a honeymoon, honeymoon to Vanuatu. It was July, but it's... Vanuatu, so we were hoping that it was going to be sunny and hot. So we packed sunglasses and we packed swimmers and we packed towels and we packed sunscreen. And we should have packed an umbrella, but we didn't because we were hoping for warm weather, but it rained almost every day. We still had a good time, um, but we packed the wrong things um, for where we were hoping, what we were hoping would happen. What are you hoping for in life? Because it's going to shape what you pack into your life. You can have a think about that now for a minute. Now there's questions on the screen. Um, and you can chat to the person next to you if you like. What are you packing into your life in order to prepare for what you're hoping for? Go, have a chat, have a think. You've got a minute. Ten seconds. All right. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus already, I wonder how Christian your hopes are for your life going forward. How do your hopes differ to the average Joe and Josephine in this world and in our community? As Christians, our hopes ought to differ dramatically, and therefore how we prepare for the life ahead of us ought to differ dramatically as well. And I confess, as I studied uh, this letter this year, I was, I was gently rebuked in some areas of my life. The things that I spend my time doing, I pack into my life, weren't necessarily helpful for where I was hoping to go. So I hope, I hope over these three weeks you experience great encouragement. I suspect you might be challenged a little bit in what you pack into your life for where you're hoping to go. But let's think about that over these next three weeks and certainly tonight. So keep your Bibles open. If you shut it, open it again. Paul opens his letter in the usual way with his typical understatement of the century, which is this. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that our church is now named Grace Anglican Church. This extraordinary truth, grace from God, 
cannot be overstated enough. And I love that it's right up front in the name of our church, Grace Anglican Church. As followers of Jesus, we, along with the Thessalonians, enjoy grace from the creator of the universe. And that's so easy to say and it's so easy to underestimate in our words and our thoughts and our hearts each day. We have in our possession forgiveness from God, reconciliation to him. His wrath, which was reserved for us, has been turned aside and lovingly poured out on his son, the eternal son, whom he loves for our sake. We have been fire-hosed. I worked in the fire industry for a few years. We've been fire-hosed with grace, as it were, from God, as have our brothers and sisters across the world and across the ages. Our brothers and sisters who lived in Thessalonica, who you'll one day meet face-to-face in glory. And you can talk about their trials and their sufferings with them and say, what was it like? And you can tell them what your life was like too on that day when the Lord takes us all, including them, to be with him. Grace from God and peace from God as well. God's grace gives us peace. Most importantly, it gives us peace with him. But also it gives us peace with one another. And it gives us peace in our hearts and in our minds If you watch the news, you'll see lots of things to worry about at the moment. Wars around the world, some of these wars creating great unsettling in our own city. There's been um, demonstrations and the like happening in our city. There's talk of... I won't... doesn't matter. If you watch the news, it's unsettling. Um, I don't want to give you an extra thing to worry about. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently and she is just really nervous and anxious about the state of our world and all the things that are going on. And these last few years have given us lots of cause to be worried. And there's certainly things to be concerned about, and I'm certainly concerned about the things, but I'm not frightened about the things that are going on in our world. And as Christians, we ought not be frightened about the things that are going on in our world. As Christians, we ought to be concerned, but not frightened, and that's because we have peace from God. Peace with him, peace with one another, and peace in our own minds and hearts. We have peace from God. Peace in the knowing that God is in total control. Peace in the knowing that God is good and in total control. Because of his grace to me and my family and my church, all of you, we have hope for the future. A hope that no one else has outside of Christ. We have this great and eternal living hope. I follow the West Tigers. I hope they win the grand final next year. They came last the last two years. It's a vain hope. It's probably not going to happen. This is not that kind of hope. This is hope in Jesus who came and walked among us, who died on the cross to save us, who rose again in glory and his resurrection is our guarantee that he will return because he said he will. We hope in him. Our hope is secure. It's sure. For Paul, this joy, this this wonderful hope that he has in Christ 
is not restricted to the future. He has great joy set before him now in the Thessalonian church as well as hope for the future. Look at verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Uh, feel free to glance back to 1 Thessalonians. If you are to read it later, which I hardly recommend, you'll see that in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to them, he encourages them for their love and their endurance and their hope, similar, that's renowned throughout the region. Here in 2 Thessalonians, which was written some months later, to this same church, he remarks that their faith is growing all the more. Their faith is increasing all the more. Their love is abounding all the more. To his great joy and his great delight, Paul is seeing a church that is growing in its faith and growing in its love. They are renowned for being a faith of hope, a church of faith and, and love. There's no greater joy for a church leader than to see their church growing in faith and abounding in love for one another. This has certainly been Ben's joy, all of our joy, the last few years in particular, as he's watched you grow in faith and grow in love for one another and grow in number, praise God. It's been a great joy for Ben in particular, who passes this congregation, but for all of us who lead our church. Faith or trust, it's an interesting thing. And the Bible talks about it in different ways. At one and the same time, faith is static, and it's, but it's also dynamic in the Bible. The Bible's clear we can't lose our faith. For our faith is dependent on the object of faith. Our faith is dependent on Jesus, not how hard we have faith. At the moment, you all have faith in your chair, not to collapse and leave you stranded on the floor. And if you have more faith, your chair won't change in its structural integrity and become stronger or anything like that. It will be exactly the same. And it's the same with Christ. We have faith in Jesus. He is steadfast. He is our rock. Because of him... And his promises, our faith is sure, not because we try really hard to have faith. Jesus says that once faith is given to one of his children, once his children become his children, they cannot be snatched away. He will keep them till the end. But Jesus also said in Matthew's Gospel, you of little faith, and I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Our faith is static, but it's also dynamic and if you've been a Christian long enough you'll know that your your sense of trust in Jesus can grow and sometimes shrink is your experience as your faith your faith can be tested and your faith can be strengthened in Jesus so Paul encourages the church and us to pray for each other that our faith will grow that our faith will be strengthened but we also pray for encouragement when our faith is weak, which has probably happened to you. You've had times in your spiritual walk where you've just felt like you're struggling to trust in God. Your faith is weak. And so we pray for one another. 
We need not fear these times when our faith is weak. We're assured they will come. But we pray for one another. I think it's something we ought to pray for in our growth groups more often. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong in your growth group, and that's good, I think we pray for our physical needs too much in our growth groups. I've got a cold, pray for me. Or I've got a sore knee, pray it stops hurting. I think we should pray for our spiritual needs more often, and I think Paul encourages us to that. The Thessalonians have a sure faith that's been tested by trials and persecution and great suffering, and their faith has stood the test of time. So I encourage you to pray for one another that your faith will stand the test of time as well and stand up to trials. The Thessalonians have endured suffering, but their hope is sure. They remain filled with hope. There's actually two different types of suffering on display in verses 5 to 10. The first is a suffering that remains filled with hope. The second is a deep suffering where no hope remains. We're going to look at them both. Verse 5, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. As a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. He will pay back those who trouble He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Paul writes that all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. My question is, all what is evidence? What's he mean? What's the evidence that God's judgment is right or just? Is it the fact that Thessalonians are suffering for Christ's sake, the fact they're willing to suffer, is that the evidence that God's judgment is right? Jesus did promise that if you follow him, you'll suffer. So maybe that's what the evidence is, that God's judgment is right. The fact that they're suffering means they're following Jesus. Or is it the fact that despite their suffering, even though they're suffering, they continue to be faithful and they continue to be loving and they continue to be persevering, so therefore God's judgment is right because it's causing them to continue and grow in their faith. Is that what it means? I'll give you a little bit of space to consider it for yourself. Who thinks it's the first one? Who's got courage to pin their colours to the mast? Who thinks it's the second one? Who thinks it's both? I think it's both, and you can argue with me later. I think it's both. Their suffering is the road to glory. Their suffering is evidence they're on the, road, on the right track, that God's just judgment is good. God was using the persecutions of others to refine them and strengthen them and reveal that they are worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. In that sense, God's judgment is good and it strengthens their faith. False disciples fall away under trial. Like the seeds sown in shallow soil in the rocks, they fall away when the sun beats down, when the persecution comes and the trials come. But true disciples who are planted in the good soil, like the good soil that the seeds planted in, true disciples persevere under trial, revealing themselves to be worthy and revealing that God's just judgment is good. God's just judgment is good. As the perfect judge, God 
deliberately allows a time of trial to strengthen and reveal the faith of his people. But in the end, the fortunes of both the persecutors and the persecutor will be reversed. We do not despair as Christians if we're persecuted because we know in the end, those who persecute us will face God's wrath and those who are being persecuted will be lifted up. For all those whose lives are lived in rebellion against God, there will be judgment. There will be wrath. All hope will be removed from them on that final day. Look again at verse 6 with me. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Just reflect on that a moment. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Relief is coming for the persecuted. Praise God for our brothers and sisters in countries around the world where they're persecuted. We're not persecuted. Not yet. But many of our brothers and sisters are around the world terribly beaten, imprisoned and killed. There'll be relief for them. There'll be judge, just judgment on those who have persecuted them. This day will come, this day of judgment. Jesus will return. Nobody will miss it. There'll be blazing fire and angels. Like many of you, if not all of you, I have people in my life who I love dearly who have not put their trust in the Lord and they will stand naked before God and his wrath and they'll be consumed. And we must do all we can to prepare them for this day. We must tell our friends about Jesus we must. There is nothing more important in this life than trusting in Jesus. And I hasten to add, if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, you must put your trust in Jesus. He could come back this night with blazing fire and his powerful angels to judge us all. Romans 1 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. I was talking to a lady in church this morning. She's 94 and she has four siblings 
They've all passed away. None of them she knew really trusted in the Lord. But they all made it clear to her at some point, particularly in their old age, that they knew that God existed. God has made his existence plain to us all. So we're without excuse. We must turn to him in repentance and faith or face his wrath naked. God does not delight in judgment. He longs that all may be saved. He longs to be merciful. He longs to save us from our sins. We have proof of that at the cross where his son died and then rose again three days later. But if we're unwilling to repent, only wrath remains for our God is a just judge and his judgment, we just read, is right. It's good. It's good and right that God will not let sins go unpunished. As we look across the world at some of the atrocities that are happening, praise God, that he will not let sins go unpunished. He's just. His judgment is good. And it's right. And eternal punishment might seem over the top. But eternity is the only appropriate punishment for rebellion against an eternal God, an infinite God. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is upon us. Our country gives us a free kick to tell people about Jesus. Twice a year they do it. Public holidays and everything. Tools down, everyone. We're going to think about Jesus, says our country. Awesome. How good is that? Christmas and Easter, we're all going to stop because of Jesus. Wow. How good is that? We don't need to hide in a cave for fear of death like many of our brothers and sisters across the world. And many of our brothers and sisters are willing to face death for Christ. We can safely, freely, openly tell our friends about Jesus. And the government has put it on the table with a public holiday. Go for it. Talk about Christmas. It's all good. So let's do that. (laughs) Knowing what we know about what's going to happen The hope we have for heaven is real. The hopelessness that our brothers and sisters or our families and our friends have is real. Who can you warn about the upcoming wrath of God? Who can you tell about the joy of trusting in Jesus? Who can you at least invite to come to carols or Christmas or our Christmas uh, service on the 17th? That'll be fun. And they'll hear the gospel preached, I promise. Who are you praying for? Is this something you're packing into your life? Because of your hope, do you pack in evangelism and prayer for your loved ones? This can be a painful topic, I know it is for me. Many of us have family and friends who don't trust in Jesus. Many of us have been pleading with them for years to put their trust in Jesus and praying with them for years um, and they haven't yet put their trust in Jesus. We've shared the gospel with them, taken them to church. I have loved ones who've absolutely heard the best evangelistic sermons I've ever heard. Still not put their trust in Jesus. What do we do when we feel like we've done all we can 
with those we know and love who haven't put their trust in Jesus well. This side of Jesus' return, we keep doing all we can. We keep praying. We keep trusting that God is good and his will will be done. We keep on looking for opportunities to share God's love. And I think most of all, this chapter says we keep praying for one another. These are wonderful but difficult truths and Paul's response to these difficult and wonderful truths is the natural response of any Christian. Look at verse 11. With this in mind, these things, these big, terrible and wonderful things, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Nothing more important. That by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness, your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course we do. Of course we pray. We constantly pray for one another. Pray that we will not falter in our faith. Pray that we will not grow weary in our evangelism to our friends and family who we love year in and year out. We keep on praying and trying to share the gospel with them. And we pray for one another that we won't grow weary. Incidentally, it took my friend from school five years before I said yes to one of his invitations to come along to this Christian thing. And God opened my ears and my eyes and my heart to the gospel. I'm a stubborn mule. If you know me, you'll know that. Five years he kept persevering with me, praise God, for Matthew. We keep praying for one another. We keep praying for our friends and family who don't know Jesus. We constantly gather for our church each Sunday. We gather for growth group each week. You guys, you're just so committed to church and I love it. It's so encouraging. We petition our Lord to work in us daily by the power of his Holy Spirit to make us worthy of his calling, to keep strengthening us in our faith. And that I love this, by, by his power... Every desire for goodness will come to fruition. Every deed prompted by faith completed. What a prayer to pray for one another. Are you someone like me who has lots of good ideas about how you can serve the Lord, all these good things that you could do and good things that you could say to your family or to your friends, and then you just don't get around to doing those good things? Ask my wife. I'm full of good ideas. It freaks her out. What a prayer to pray that every prompting of the Holy Spirit in us to do a good deed, to say a good thing, to think a good thing, will come to fruition. I think that's a fantastic prayer, to pray for one another as we gather in our growth groups. God, this week I pray that every good thought, every good idea we have in the name of the Lord, every desire for goodness will come to fruition. What a great prayer. Pray that for me and pray that for one another. Our flesh is weak, isn't it? It gets in the way. Read Romans chapter 7. You'll see it got in the way of Paul. His flesh constantly worked against the spirit within. So we need to pray. And we have an exquisite reason to be praying this prayer for one another. We have an exquisite reality that we enjoy and we hope for for the future. We pray so that the name of the Lord Jesus might be glorified in us and us in him. 
Our brothers and sisters who lived before Jesus came, they dared not approach the living God or even look upon his face for fear of death. They sacrificed bulls and goats and doves to atone for their sin, but the blood of bulls and goats and doves did not wash away their crimes against the Lord. But thanks be to God for the one sacrifice for all time who died for us and cleansed us from our sin once and for all. And not only that, but the Lord Jesus dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. He lights us from the inside like a filament inside a light globe that we might shine his light into this dark world. What do we learn from tonight? Well, firstly, we've seen the glory of the Lord. Can I have that last slide? Thanks. We've seen the glory of the Lord. I honestly believe we drastically underestimate the extraordinary kindness of God to us to the detriment of ourselves and the detriment of those around us. Our sinful nature obstructs us from falling on our knees every morning in praise and awe and love of the extraordinary gift that we have, which is the hope of heaven. We have the hope of heaven. On that last day, we'll be radically and permanently changed, being transformed into his likeness. And in our transformation, his glory will be seen in us. What a day. Imagine it. We will glow forever with the glory of Christ in our spirit and our flesh. As indeed he glowed with the glory of his Father on earth. And the sufferings that you endure, friends, will seem light and momentary and so distant. Such is the glory of our Lord. And the glory of our Lord is in us who believe. How would you pack your mind and your heart and your briefcase or backpack differently each day if you remembered deeply that the Lord of the universe dwells in you and longs to shine out. If you expected this, this is the last day the Lord was coming back. Coops and Rachel aren't going to get to get married. Damn it. But they get to marry Jesus as part of his church. How would you spend your day differently? What would you do differently? Would you race around like a mad thing telling everyone you know about Jesus? I think you might. How are you preparing for the hope how are you spending each day preparing for the hope that is yours in the Lord? Until that day, will you allow the glory of the Lord that's in you to shine out to those who are destined to perish around you or in fear or shame or embarrassment or laziness? Will you cover it up? Jesus' glory ought to mean that we're willing to, we're willing to pack suffering and hardship into our bags for his sake. The great idol of our day is comfort. Don't buy it. We're willing to suffer. We're hardcore for Jesus. We're willing to be persecuted. His glory is worth it. We don't crave comfort. We crave hardship. In the Lord's name. Our country is trying to silence our voices and calling upon us to deny our faith, but we won't be silent and we won't deny our faith because our hope is in the Lord. 
And so we deny our culture and we praise and glorify and proclaim our Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the hope that those of us whose trust is in Jesus all have and we pray for those among us who have not yet bowed the knee to you, not yet put their trust in you, that they will tonight. Moving them by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to repentance and faith in you, in our glorious Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us to consider what we're packing into our days and our life. And is it serving our hope for the future? Help us to pack into our days time with you and prayer for our friends and for our brothers and sisters at church. Help us to pack these things in light of the hope that is ours in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.